This session explores the different business models and income generating activities of a social enterprise. This is a very important aspect of an organization's move towards social enterprise. What product or products are they going to sell? What services are they going to offer? I am with uh, Bame Modungwa. She works in the space of innovation finance at the Bertha Center. So you chatted to Rachel Milson, hub manager at Social Enterprise Academy, as well as Tamlin Abrams, the regional director of Operation Smile in Southern, Central and West Africa. Before we get into the case study, please summarize the themes for us. As you mentioned, the session covers income generating opportunities, Once uh, the Pathways to Sustainability workshop organizations get comfortable with the concept of social enterprise, we then introduce this idea of how do you then begin to think about generating income for your organization. The session will look at a definition of social entrepreneurship. This is kind of the academics or the formal definition that Rachel gives, given that she comes from Social Enterprise Academy. Then it goes into, well, why would an NPO want to transition into the social enterprise model in the first place? What are some of the benefits that they can gain from this? What follows is then a look at the different models of social enterprise. This is an educational podcast. Mm. It will feel like you're in the classroom a little bit. Not a bad Um, thing. Not a bad (laughs) thing. The idea is that you should be able to walk away with some tools that you can apply to your organization. Mm. I mean, I've done some work with Operation Smile, and they really are an incredible organization with the work that they do. The Social Enterprise Academy is working towards a society that combines economic activity with community benefit, which basically means that we support businesses or enterprises that focus specifically on addressing social or environmental challenges that exist in order to create a better South Africa for everyone. And that's really why we think social enterprise is so powerful, because it is really about how do we create uh, businesses that focus on social change. And not only that, they're not only used to to deal with social or environmental challenges, but they also use their profits to be redistributed into that social mission. So actually what we're seeing is that these social enterprises, the profits of those are being used for the benefit of everybody or for the community, rather than being spread out to uh, to shareholders, which, which tend to have the lion's share of the wealth in our society anyway. We really believe that social enterprises are, is a huge vehicle for change, if you like, in our, in our society here in South Africa as well as globally. And our contribution at the Social Enterprise Academy is through learning and development. So we believe in the power of learning to create that social change, which means that we deliver transformational learning programs in those uh, four areas, in social enterprise development, in leadership. We know that strong, uh, resilient leadership is really critical, um, in social impact measurement, and also we share our methodology on learning. That's great. Um, So the Bertha Centre has actually partnered with Social Enterprise Academy to provide a program called Pathways to Sustainability. Do you want to share a little bit on what what the motivation behind this program was? Yeah, so we recognize that here in South Africa, as well as globally, more and more non-profit organizations are coming under increasing pressure, if you like, um, from donors. So there's less and less funding available for non-profit organizations. Um, Here in South Africa, there are over 150,000 non-profit organizations currently registered and more being registered every 
every month. And so, of course, it's, there's huge competition for funding. So one of the reasons why there's been a drive towards um, social enterprise and income generation for nonprofits is because of that competitiveness around funding, but also because we recognize that social enterprise brings forward a really powerful method for actually delivering greater social impact via, uh, you know, via that, that methodology as well. So it's not just necessarily a way of generating income. It's also about how can we make sure that we're creating social impact sustainably and for the future. And uh, the Pathways for, to Sustainability program really came about because we know that for many nonprofits, it's a huge change to move from a donor-driven model to a trading model where basically you're using business principles. So we really wanted to be able to provide the support for those nonprofit organizations to be able to make that change. With Pathways to Sustainability, um, you've highlighted that, you know, the program is directed towards nonprofits. Um, and you've also mentioned that, you know, the Academy runs um, some learning and development programs for social entrepreneurs and practice. When you do go out and provide these programs, it's essentially advocacy for social entrepreneurship. Mm. Who is your target market and what is kind of the reaction to this concept? It remains a fairly new concept, certainly. Um, so... If you're thinking about non-profit organizations, for, for many, it's, it's quite difficult actually to look at how we can achieve that blended value because traditionally, if you look back in history, not only in South Africa, but globally, then we've seen there's been a very strong divide between the sort of private sector, public sector, and exactly. this non-profit sector. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of um, accustomed to thinking about those three as being very separate from each other. So when you start to talk about um, an organization being able to achieve social purpose or you know actually create social change but also use business principles and actually be profitable mm. that can be quite tricky for some people yeah. so we often talk about social enterprise as being more than profit mm. so of course it's important for a social enterprise to make profit but it's what they do with that that counts exactly. which makes it a little bit easier uh, you know for non-profits because they recognize that it's not about me making money for the sake of making money yeah. it's it's about making money so that we can implement these amazing um social programs that we want to implement yeah which makes it a little easier i'm going to go to tamlin for a bit you are the regional director at operation smile could you just share what work that you do what mm. inspired operation smile coming to the southern african region and the other regions that you work in mm. sure thank you Bami. um so operation smile we are a global non-profit that provides free surgery to children and adults with facial deformities and with that Every country that we work in, the vision is always to be able to have long-term self-sustainable programs where local medical professionals can be taking care of these children throughout the year. So alongside our medical missions that we do to provide just safe surgery, there is a huge emphasis on um, being able to provide training and capacity building and also being able to understand what are the barriers to care for these families in the communities? You know, why is there in South Africa a woman over the age of 60 with an unrepaired cleft lip when we do have these amazing um, medical infrastructures in the country? So Operation Smile, when working, we really become integrated with the community um, in the rural areas as well as, you know, very much with the university side and, and working with the medical professionals um, and corporate partners so that, it's an integrated approach in, in helping to support the patients. Um, and it's long-term because once a patient's received one surgery, they need multiple follow-up surgery and speech therapy and dental care. And with that, there's always this 
impact to them on the cost to get from their home to the hospital um, just to see a doctor for a follow-up, not even the surgery part. So um, Operation Smile really works hand-in-hand to try and support patients to overcome barriers to care and to train medical professionals so that there is year-round care available. And the reason for coming to South Africa and Africa was because there was a need and we got called and said there's patients that need to be taken care of and um, we're interested to collaborate because there's a, a huge opportunity for global medical exchange. So having African physicians go to Latin America or Asia and share their skills because I think there's a huge amount that we can share from Africa outside as well as you know bring globally here. So um, there's a huge melting pot of exchange that happens within OpSmile. Um, so it was both definitely a need for patients to be taken care of, but also a huge interest to have that global exchange amongst medical professionals. You identify as a non-profit organization, yes? Yes, we are. And you did mention, you know, you're the regional director for this region, but I, that's because you have a global organization. Um, I'm interested then to know how you came to hear about social entrepreneurship and how you think that moving to a model of social entrepreneurship would work for Operation Smile. When working in the nonprofits field, oftentimes organizations are very focused on their specific cause mm-hmm. and what they're doing. But when you touch your beneficiary's life, you realize, you know, it's just one part that impacts them. You know, the, the barriers to care that they face is not just necessarily a financial barrier that they have. There's distances, there's safety, there's security. So I think we're, we're always driven to become more innovative because once you've helped the low-hanging fruits there's so many more patients that need help and how do you better support them so for us I don't think we necessarily had the idea of the term social enterprise when we when we started down this pathway it's just something that happens organically where you know it won't necessarily be the whole organization shifting completely but that there are parts where we can do more and so when working with our patients Um, They spend about 10 days with us at a hospital waiting for their surgery. And a lot of our partners said, you know, we'd like to come and and do workshops with them to help teach them more skills so that, you know, they can leave here and have maybe a possible way to generate income for them um, when they go back home. Because oftentimes patients with cleft lip or palate, their family's been ostracized. The kids have not gone to school. They've lived a life of isolation. And so surgery is just the first step for them as individuals and then what do you do to give them not just fish but a fishing rod and I think for us like even as a non-profit you don't want to be standing begging on the side of the street you want to be empowered so Mm -hmm. that you can move forward and really create change and and feel you know the work we're doing is worthwhile we're not begging for a handout you know Mm -hmm. this needs to happen it's important and so I think for us as an organization we've we've come to a point where we realize the work we do is meaningful and impactful and the patients whose lives have been changed have been changed in a way where they want to become active members in society too. And so for us, it's looking at what we can do and provide ourselves, but also what partners can come and be part of it. So we've looked at um, training some of our patients with basic craft things, um, recycling, um, so teaching them how to use Uh, plastic bags and make little purses and our volunteers who come from around the world love to buy these gifts from the patients and take back home because Mm -hmm. you know when you become part of the this work anyone who 
does social work, it's it's driven from emotion and it's not something necessarily that the brain can explain, but you want to share that experience back home again. And people yeah. want to take a little bit of magic that they had on a mission to share with families. And I think, you know, seeing with young people today, they would much rather buy something that has a story behind it so that it's a gift that keeps giving. Yeah. And with that, it was just responding to volunteers saying, We'd love to have items made from these patients so we can support them start a life at home again. Um, and, th- and so that's one part of it that happened just very organically. And so looking at, at setting up a more structured online shop and more structured training with some of our patients. Um, and then some other pieces that we've also been looking at that does relate to medical training and capacity building. Rachel, Tamlin's touched on this a bit um, from the Operation Smile point of view and how they're thinking about income generating opportunities. What are the options to organizations in a similar position that are looking to try out the social enterprise model? Is there is there a framework that they can work with? Are there steps? Um, what ideas do you have mm. at Social Enterprise Academy? If you're a nonprofit organization and you're thinking of making that transition towards social enterprise, then the first thing to do is it's useful to think about key strengths and assets. Mm. So what do you currently do that you're really good at that you can build on or what assets do you have um, that you might be able to use, be they physical assets or be that about um, legitimacy or, or brand awareness or whatever it is. So what are you really good at? And really there are three options for a nonprofit organization. So one is Can you take a socially enterprising approach within your organization? So do you already have products, goods and services that actually you could sell rather than give for free, for Mm -hmm. example? So that might be about accessing a mixed income market as well. This is a UK example, actually. It's London Early Years Foundation. They were doing early childhood development for children in very poor parts of London. Um, and they discovered that their funding was, was being taken away, really, or becoming very difficult. And they made a plan to scale. So they, they actually took on a loan. They scaled. They actually grew to three times their size. And they started to create nurseries or early childhood development centres for mixed-income families. And therefore, without actually getting any more donations through, they were able to support the same number of children from disadvantaged communities or disadvantaged families as they were previously, Mm -hmm. but now they were doing it without any donations coming in at all. So that's one option. The second option is, is there something that's connected to your mission that would enhance your social impact and keep you focused on your purpose? So we can look to somewhere like Learn to Earn, for example, a Cape Town example. Mm-hmm. They are, do a lot of training, um, skills development, life skills, etc. And then they develop two uh, social enterprises. One is called the Feel Good Project, where they're doing training and retail skills. But they actually have two retail shops where they train people up in those skills. They take them through a nine-month program. And it's completely um, self-sustainable as a social enterprise. And, of course, creating a huge amount of social impact as a result of that training program. Mm-hmm. Or Finally, you could go for something that's completely different that you use to subsidize your programs, your social programs that you're already doing. So i.e. create a business that is actually something separate to what you're doing and then you just use a profit to subsidize what your social programs already exist. So that's, that's another way that we can do it. We're actually running through these ideas in our Pathways to Sustainability program, which um, Tamlin, you happen to be a part of. How would you then think about applying some of these principles to your project or to your organization? 
I think for us it's been really interesting just to learn about how other organizations are doing it, to see the opportunities there. I mean, our, our eyes have really opened up to it by being part of the program and, and hearing you know, from around the world how different people have done it. So I think for us, we definitely see opportunity within micro industry in the community. So supporting the patients themselves to create their own industry in their communities. And then also where we could have access to global markets through our network of volunteers so being able to have products to sell um, and generate income through that so I think there's there's so many possibilities but it's as Rachel also says really understanding your skills and your assets and not spreading yourself too thin so that you can remain focused on what your core mission is Mm -hmm. um, and that you you don't lose yourself in that either because I think there's there's lots of exciting innovative opportunities um, but it is important to remain focused on on the the core mission that we have out there so I think for us we've we've seen ways where Within the community, there's opportunity to set structures in place where the community can have greater access to healthcare through a, a few different things that you can bring in place. I think there's a great example of a, a young Cape Tonian um, entrepreneur. He won an award. I think he's 21 years old um, who set up his own bike delivery service here in Cape Town to deliver chronic medicine to people. And and I think, you know, those innovative approaches are ways to overcome, you know, the barriers of transport in, in countries like the DRC, where there's only three to five percent access to road to travel 100 kilometers takes two days. So if a whole community has to travel to a clinic, that's a lot of time out there versus setting something up where one person can do it. So I think it's really been very eye-opening to just hear the examples. And from that, we'll have to definitely carve our pathway out still. But just interesting in the, again, community industry approach, as well as that global market access that a person has for profit-driven enterprise. And I think that's something that we try and do as an academy is to create situations where we bring people together who are at a similar place in their journey. So mm-hmm. in these programs, we have a group of nonprofit leaders who are all looking to development towards social enterprise. And really the power of, of dialogue and the power of mm-hmm. being able to share experiences, share examples and learn from each other mm. you know, can't be underestimated yeah. um, so that's certainly a huge mm. part of the, of the program and it's also about saying you know you're not alone because it is quite a new concept a lot of social entrepreneurs do feel like they're you know somebody that, that's, that's kind of working fairly isolated from others or fairly differently from others so it's about saying actually there are a whole network of people who are working on similar things mm. who share similar values let's mm. support each other in that sort of peer-led mm. way so yeah. that we can create a resilient social enterprise mm. movement mm. across South Africa. I think one of the things that's also for me very different about social enterprise is that it's driven by the needs of the community mm-hmm. versus the ideas of what's going to make us the most money. Yes. And that was one of the things we found interesting in Ghana. We did workshops with patients there and we did a lot of bead workshop, but tick dyeing um it was great for them during that week. The woman loved it. And we helped put little starter kits together for them so that when they went back home, they could continue doing this and, and generate some income. And one of the ladies put her hand up and said, you know, this is lovely and quaint, but I'm a farmer. This isn't going to work for me where I am. It's it's not a practical skill. So really having to listen to what they want and need. And so with that, we've now adapted our approach and we've 
asked other projects to join us so that they can bring agricultural best practices and other things part of it. So I think, you know, it's not necessarily a social enterprise model there, but it's again that example of needing to listen what the needs are mm. and how it will impact them in a way that they want to be part of it. Because I think it's really, it's vital that it's something that people buy into in and of themselves but are not convinced to be part of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's different with social enterprise, I feel, is that it's something people, you know, have a movement inside from a heart space of mm -hmm. I want to be part of this versus being told by this you need it. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I think that's that's something I feel is very different with this approach and, and again understanding what the community needs mm -hmm. and like, okay, well solar isn't maybe the best thing for them here, maybe something more related to wind or water generating electricity pieces. So I think it's it's important to know what the community wants and needs for it to be successful as well. And I think I'll just add in there, you know, we've been talking a lot about nonprofits making that transition towards social enterprise, but it's also, as, you, as you've been giving lots of you know, examples there of, of course, it doesn't need to be that way. You know, there are lots of organizations or, you know, community-driven organizations who set up as social enterprises from the beginning, mm. i.e. they want to create social change, but they want to do it in a way that uses business principles. Yeah. So it's certainly not something that is purely driven from a non-profit perspective coming mm -hmm. towards social enterprise, but actually there are more and more people who are recognizing that this is a new and different way to do business. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that can provide community benefit for all. I just want to touch on something you said, Tamlin, that you, know, you really need to listen to your beneficiary or the people that you're working with, the people that you're trying to resolve a problem for. You would think that that's the first thing that an organization trying to set up to resolve a problem would do, you know, go to the people, ask them what they need and try and resolve it. But that doesn't always happen. Mm. But what's great is this whole movement with design thinking coming about mm. and the emphasis on human centered design thinking. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, I know that's one of the tools that you mm. offer and suggest and recommend, you know, for people thinking about, you know, social enterprise to go through. Um, yeah. Do you want to just expand on how that process works? Yeah, sure. It's a very powerful process and it starts and is based on empathy. It's so important to really understand, you know, what is it that people need and what's going to work for people rather than making assumptions about what we think might be useful, etc. So the very first principle of design thinking is about going out there and empathizing with the end user of that product, that good or service that you're thinking about designing, if you like, or, or developing. So once you've kind of understood what, what actually are the, the needs here and really try to sit in the end user's shoes, if you like, and then we can go about creating some principles for design. Yeah. So then we can say, well, actually, if we're going to design something, then we know it needs to you know, work in a particular way. You know, we know that it needs to um, incorporate particular aspects, etc., into into its design. So once we do that, we can then ideate around those principles. Mm -hmm. That means that we can brainstorm about actually what are some of the ideas that we have collectively bringing as many people as possible into that brainstorming and, um, phase or the ideation phase so that we can really come up with some, some great ideas between us. And sometimes it's the most unlikely ideas, the things that most people are like, ah, that's never going to work, yeah. which actually end up you know, being the thing that, that does really work. So it's really being as creative as possible. 
we then can move into creating a, a prototype, if you like. So we then, what the idea about design thinking is, starting with empathy, we then move fairly quickly into developing something that we can go and test out in the market. So we can say, here's a product that we think is going to work. What do you think? Exactly. Um, so that actually it's not about spending months and months and even years doing lots and lots of market research. It's about empathizing, understanding what the issues are, designing something fairly quickly, testing that whether it's going to work or not, and then getting it out there and continuously improving or reiterating that product to make it really, really work. How do you decide, you know, or think about the strength of an idea? Are there tools that people can look to for that? So some of the things that we recommend um, doing when you're thinking about the strength of an idea, so it's, it's different from a traditional business where you might say the strength of an idea will be based purely on um, actually how much profitability or how much income is that, is that likely to generate. So while that's, of course, important, we would say you're looking at your financial impact in that way, the profitability or the potential for profitability, but you're also looking at the social impact. So actually, is it likely to create social impact? What is that likely to be? How are you going to measure? of that, i.e. how are you going to know that it's created the impact that you wanted it to create as part of that. So we would say, look at the likely financial return, look at the likely social or environmental return, and then weigh that up against your organizational fit. So if you're not a startup, uh, what are you already doing? Mm -hmm. And how does the new idea fit with what you're already doing? So if it's something that is um, fairly similar, or there's a good values fit, um, or certainly if it's linked to your purpose, then and that, that thing is much more likely to work for you as an organization. Um, how do you ensure then that you don't detract from the core mission? It's weighing up all those things and making sure as much as you keep your beneficiaries at heart, you also have that business approach to it and thinking through and and engage stakeholders in the conversation around it. But keeping that why at the core of it. Why are we doing what we're doing? And I think if your whys align and it's always that same why, then it happens quite organically and naturally. If it feels like you're having to force it to fit, then you should probably reevaluate it. Mm -hmm. But if it's just something that comes because it fits and it belongs i think you you intuitively know but it it does have to you know go through that very structured way of thinking and keeping the why at the core for your decision making you need to have 100% clarity on your social purpose. Be very mm-hmm. clear yourself as a, as a leader of an organization mm-hmm. and make sure that everybody who's working with you has clarity about that as well. And we sometimes think of that as being your North Star. You know, that's the thing that guides you in all your decision making. Mm-hmm. And actually, once you have that clarity, it becomes a lot easier to decide what's going to work and what's not going to mm-hmm. work, as, mm-hmm. as you said there, Tamlin. And I think sometimes as social entrepreneurs, we want to do everything, mm-hmm. you know, because we see that there's so much change that needs to happen. There's injustice. There's so much that we could be doing. And what we say is that, you know, actually, it's not possible for one organization to do everything. Mm-hmm. Let's rather find partners who we can yeah. team up with so that we can create the systemic mm-hmm. change, if you like, that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But um, as an organization, be clear on your on your social purpose and use that as a, as a guiding principle mm-hmm. and innovate around that. Yeah, so we mm-hmm. can be fairly flexible with the projects and the approaches that we use around the purpose, but remain close and remain tight around your, around your core purpose. Find yeah. your North Star and let it guide you. Yes. Thanks to Rachel Milson, Hub Manager at the Social Enterprise Academy, as well as Tamlin Abrams of Operation Smile for giving up their time to share their insights into the work they do. So what can we distill from that chat? 
The takeaways from this conversation are that the social enterprise model involves finding new income-generating streams. This can be an activity within the existing program, so something that would be very aligned to what your nonprofit organization has been doing already, mm-hmm. something that would still be very close to your core mission and helping your beneficiaries the way that you've been doing already. It could be an activity that's connected to the existing program. So it wouldn't necessarily be core to the organization, but can be connected in one way or the other. Or finally, your income generation could be an activity that is separate to the organization. A lot of nonprofits don't feel very comfortable with this at first, Mm. but I think the recognition that in order to help their beneficiaries, they need to generate income. They don't always have assets that they can connect the income generating opportunity to, and this then forces them to, you know, go with an activity that's separate to the organization. Be sure to download our next episode in the series, Social Enterprise 101, brought to you by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship and Prime Media Broadcasting. We'll be bringing you change leadership, how to engage all key stakeholders before and during a major change. So important. So from me, Swangile Mafu and Bame Modungwa, thanks for listening and remember to tweet us at Bertha Center.